All right, Matthew 6. Turn with me to Matthew 6. And I'm going to continue this series we started a few weeks ago called Gospel. Gospel. It's, this is, it, a lot of times sounds like a churchy word, like you've heard this word gospel. We've got, been talking about what it means. And we know that gospel essentially kind of means good news, good news. And, and we know that Jesus told us to go and, and the Bible sometimes uses this word, preach the gospel. I don't like the word preach. Uh, I like announce. The reason is because when you hear preach, you think that's my job. And so you're like, yeah, God's called you to go preach the gospel. No, no, no. God's called all of us to go announce good news, right? That's really like, we have the best job in the world because God said, hey, I want you to go announce good news. Like everybody loves to give, well, everybody should love to give good news. Sometimes I think if the gospel were bad news, it would travel faster. But I think everybody should love to give good news. In fact, I would love it if our news networks ever gave good news or even factual news. That would be awesome too. But anyways, um, but everybody loves, you know, everybody is called not, not to preach because we think preach means Bible, notes, three points, all this stuff. No, no, no. The word preach is actually just to announce. Go and announce good news. That's what Jesus has asked us all to do. But we've been talking about what is that good news? What is that good news actually? Because what we've been finding out is there may be a difference between what we thought the good news was that we were supposed to announce and the good news that Jesus announced. In fact, if you get to Matthew 6, Jesus is talking. He kind of makes this statement. Um, it's very famous scripture. If you've been in church at any time at all, you've probably heard someone preach a message on it. And so we're going to read it together. Matthew 6, verse 3, 31, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, now time out. Time out right there. Because those, could we all agree, those are, those are necessities? All right, like this is not like, he's not saying don't worry about where you're going to go on vacation. He's not even saying don't worry about what house you're going to buy or what car you're going to drive. But he's like, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Well, I know for most of us, we're Americans. And if you're an American and you make kind of the average American income, you're considered wealthy by the rest of the world's standards, right? So none of us in here probably are really concerned about what we're going to eat today. We are probably going to eat. You probably are going to throw out food because it's Sunday and you're going to start your grocery list over and there's food that's expired that didn't get eaten and you're going to be throwing. So we're not really worried about that. But, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, don't worry about this. And he goes on to say, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them all. And so Jesus is about to kind of, he's about to, to kind of contrast two schools of thought, two, two realities, two ideologies, because he's saying, hey, don't be anxious and don't worry about these things. And then he says, this is what Gentiles are people outside the kingdom of God, people who are unbelievers at this time because the gospel had not come to the Gentiles. That's later on, right? And so, so he's saying, hey, these are not people of faith. They're not inside the kingdom. And this is what they worry about. And then he all of a sudden says, but here's your focus. So here's saying, these people are focused on this, but you be focused on this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. It's interesting because he's expressing schools of thought. They're focused on this. I want you to focus on this. And when he tells us what to focus on, it's not religion. It's not, not Bible studies, not choirs, not organs on this side, pianos on that side, not churches with steeples and stained glass. He uses this word kingdom, but seek first not to act better, not to behave better, not to be nicer. 
Seek first this kingdom. And so Jesus is kind of making the same that, hey, on the earth, there's, there's these two kingdoms, if you will. And there's one, and if you're in this kingdom, this is the way you think. These are things you're worried about. Yeah, there's anxiety because you're worried about these things and you're pursuing these things and these things have become first. But he's like, hey, because I'm here, there's something new, something new going on. And I'm going to put it in terms of a kingdom because this wasn't the normal terminology, really. And he said, I'm going to put it in terms of a kingdom. There's this kingdom of God. And the people who are in the kingdom of God, they seek the kingdom of God, Right? And it says, when you seek the kingdom of God, these other things take care of themselves. Now, I want to make sure we understand because I think religion has taught us in some, some not so great things because religion has taught us, well, seek the kingdom of God so you can get all the stuff. Like you need stuff, seek the kingdom of God. The problem is your focus is on the stuff. Well, he's saying, no, your focus is supposed to be on the kingdom. See, if you're seeking the kingdom, you get all the stuff. The kingdom's still not first. The stuff is. Right? So he's saying you seek the kingdom not to get the stuff. You seek the kingdom to get the kingdom. When you get the kingdom, the other stuff works out. But that's not the focus. The stuff is not. See, the problem is we've adapted this kingdom to this kingdom. Because this kingdom is like we're worried on stuff. And then we think, oh, Jesus told us a better way to get stuff. <laughs> right? And so now we're like, I'm going to seek the kingdom to get the stuff. Well, you're still living in that kingdom. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we just try to manipulate God as though he doesn't know what's going on. And so Jesus' Jesus' whole message was this thing about this kingdom. He introduces, you can think this way, or there's a kingdom to pursue. You can pursue these things, or you can pursue a kingdom. In fact, really, when Jesus announced good news, it wasn't good news or the good news that you could die and go to heaven. It's what a lot of us think is good news. That's what a lot of religion has told us to announce to people like, hey, you got to preach the gospel. What's that mean? You can tell people that if they pray this prayer, when they die, they go to heaven. The problem is Jesus, that wasn't the good news that he announced. In fact, Luke 4, 43, he says it this way. He says, I must proclaim the good news. Now, what is the good news? I must proclaim the good news that everyone can die and go to heaven. Is that what that says? No. It says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. In fact, when Jesus starts his ministry, and then he goes on to say, by the way, this is why I was sent. I was sent to proclaim a kingdom. I was sent to communicate a kingdom. In fact, when Jesus starts his ministry in Luke chapter 4, a little bit earlier when he starts preaching in verse 17, he says, he says, he went about preaching, repent, not for the religion of God is here, but rather that the kingdom of God is near. And then he goes on, it says, and Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. And, and his, his good news had immediate ramifications, had immediate results. See, we can die and go to heaven as good news. That is good news if you compare it to we can die and go to hell. But that puts the focus like the journey is that we're trying to get to heaven. And everybody's trying to get to heaven. But Jesus' message wasn't focused on getting people to heaven. It was actually focused on the fact that heaven had come to earth. That the kingdom of God is near. That the kingdom of God is here. See, telling people, hey, I've got this good news for you, 
You can die and go to heaven. That's, that's kind of good news. But telling people that there's a kingdom here that has a provision and a solution for whatever you are lacking is better news. Because Jesus preached the kingdom, and when a man had a withered hand, so he was lacking health and strength in his hand, Jesus would say, stretch out your hand. Why? Because there's a kingdom here. This kingdom has authority. It has power. What we've learned really is that earth is a land and there are two kingdoms represented on the earth. In fact, God put man on the earth to represent his kingdom on the earth. And then when man fell, Satan took over and the kingdom of darkness took over and things go downhill really quickly. And so when Jesus comes back, so you have one earth and one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And then when Jesus shows up, the reason he starts his message with repent for the kingdom of heaven is his hand. He's saying, hey, there's a new kingdom here because there's a king here. And the problem is this earth has taught you to think a certain way, see a certain way, interact with reality a certain way, but there's now a kingdom here and you have to repent. That's not change your behavior, that's change your thinking. And so this gospel that Jesus preached was the good news that there is a kingdom on this earth. That he brought a kingdom, not a religion. Not a religion. And the problem is when we say seek first the kingdom of God, we put it in a religious context. I think religion was pretty much birthed by hell. I kind of think Jesus felt the same way. In fact, religion is a great counterfeit for kingdom. It's just a powerless version of some similar concepts. And so when we say seek first the kingdom, we think, well, that means I had to pray and I got I to read my Bible and I got to be at life group. And all those things are good things, but that's not seeking first the kingdom. That's doing religious activity. We, we recommend all of those things. That's how you grow. You need to be in a life group. That's how you grow. In fact, we just launched life groups last weekend, and you can still get in one, and we will help you get in a life group. They're online. You can go online. All the life groups are on there. You can pick one. If that's weird to you, call us. We'll pick one for you and call the leader for you because you need to be in a life group. But the problem is we, we put a religious context, and here's what we say seeking the kingdom means, doing things to make God happy. And that's Religion. And we talked a lot about that last week. We contrast the idea of kingdom and religion. And so this week, I thought it would be good just to give you a kingdom perspective. So I call this message a kingdom perspective. And I have like 10 points. So this is a record. <laughs> we'll be here till 2 p.m. It's going to be amazing. But I want to give you a kingdom perspective. And we have to start with this thing, number one, called the Bible, because the Bible is not a religious book. It's not a devotional book, Right? A Bible doesn't tell you how and teach you how to do religion to make God happy. That's not what the Bible is. And that's what a lot of us have been taught it is. But the Bible's not a religious book at all. In fact, it's called a New Testament and an Old Testament. Right? The, the word testament actually means solemn agreement. It's actually kind of like a legal term. So we basically have a new agreement, an old agreement, and a new agreement. We use the word covenant, an old covenant and a new covenant. You can say it this way, an old contract and a new contract. The Bible is actually a legal document more so than it is a devotional study about a religion. I had a friend uh, growing up who always wanted to be a pastor, and so he went, I won't say which college, but a very well-known, huge college. 
and went into their master's program, their religion program. He never made it to ministry because by the time he graduated, he knows more about the Bible than probably I ever will. He's very smart. But he said, I went to Bible school, essentially university, and he said, they completely filled my head while completely draining my heart. And he said, now when I read the Bible, it's simply a textbook to tell me all about religion. The Bible's not a religious book at all. It's not a textbook. It's not even a devotional book. It's actually the constitution of a kingdom. It actually tells you the intents and promises of the government of a kingdom towards its people and the rights of the citizens of that kingdom. The Bible is actually written to teach us and explain to us and help us to understand this kingdom of God. In fact, there are three major religions that claim that their father, the father of their faith or their father is Abraham, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. They all go back to Abraham. The only problem is God didn't call Abraham to start a religion. God didn't promise Abraham a religion. God promised Abraham land because that's what all kingdoms have to have. What is most every war fought over? Land. Because the strength of a kingdom is how much land it has. How is the kingdom of darkness, how did it get so powerful? Because when Adam fell, the kingdom of darkness took over earth and it, it got the whole thing. Right? So, so the Bible is not a religious book. Here's the second thing. The Bible tells the story of a king, Psalm 47, 8. Now, we think in terms of theology and deity, but, but look at Psalm 47, 8 and think in terms of kingdom. God reigns, kings reign, over the nations, over all the land. God sits on his holy throne. And I know we say, well, God sits on a throne, but you know who else sits on thrones? Kings. Like this tells the story of a kingdom. Number three, the Bible is about a royal family. The Bible is about a royal family. See, kings who have kids have a royal family. The Bible's not actually about subjects who worship a God. It's actually about a king who wanted to have kids. In fact, in Luke chapter three, I remember the first time I saw this, but Luke chapter three has the genealogies. And most of us, when we're reading the Bible, if we're being honest, we kind of skip over the genealogies. Okay, this is a great place for freedom right here because I do it too. We can all be honest. Jesus is still God, you know, he's still on the throne. But, um, but I was reading the genealogies in Luke chapter three and it starts at Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam and it's kind of the son of this guy, the son of this guy, the son of this guy. And then it gets to Adam's sons, right? Um, you know, and it says the son of Seth and then it says the son of Adam and then it says the son of God. And at first I was like, okay, because you know how you read the Bible and then you see what you've never seen. That's why you keep reading it. I was like, wait a second. Adam was not the son of God. Like something has gone terribly wrong here in my Bible. And I immediately thought the scripture because scripture clearly says Jesus was the only begotten son. And then I realized that King James word means something. Jesus was the only born son. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh. God didn't create subjects to worship him. God created sons to rule with him. And so this story that starts in Genesis is all about a king who wanted a royal family. 
Not a deity that needed subjects to worship him. In fact, 1 Peter 2.9 says that you're a chosen generation or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you're royal. That this is about a royal people. This is about a royal family. So the Bible is about a king who has kids. Number four, the Bible is about a kingdom. It's not about a religion. In, in Genesis chapter one, when you look at it and says, and God told Adam to take dominion, Adam to take dominion, that word dominion is rada in the, in the Hebrew. It could have easily been translated kingdom. And God told Adam, have a kingdom. Oh, it's going to get better. It's all going to make sense. You just stay with me. And so this is, about, this is all about a kingdom, right? And a kingdom is a country. It has a land. Here's number five. The Bible's about a government because the government of a kingdom is ruled by a king. So there's a government of a kingdom that's ruled by a king. In fact, Isaiah 9, you can read it other times other than December, but Isaiah 9 says, for unto us a child is born. That's the natural. But then it tells us something supernatural. A son is given. A child is born, a son is given. A child is born, all right, that, that is very natural, all right, but, but this child was a son that was given to us, and then it says, who's a king, by the way, and it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So now this Bible's telling us about a king, a kingdom, and a government. And it says, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Number, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of his peace. Peace is the atmosphere of a government that he's in charge of. His government produces peace, right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so here it is. This, this is a kingdom and this is about a government. So the Bible's telling us about a kingdom, a king, a kingdom, and a government. Number six, the Bible is about a colonization mission. That's why you need to understand kingdom, because only kingdoms colonize. Only kingdoms colonize. Colonization is the extension of a king's influence over a foreign land. It's the expansion of the rule of a king over another territory. Right? See, see the, the reason... The kingdom of darkness has power is because it has land. So think about this. Going back in time, here we are. God creates Adam, says, have a kingdom. But then Adam rebels, right? And Satan takes over. The throne is vacated. Satan takes it. So now the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness is the kingdom of this world. They're really the same. And now Satan rules. And it, it goes downhill fast. I think we've established that, right? And now Jesus shows up. And his message is, there's a kingdom here. This kingdom hasn't been here since Genesis. See, there was one land with one kingdom, and then Jesus showed up, and now there's one land with two kingdoms. And the reason the kingdom of darkness has power is because it has some land. It has some territory. It's captured some people. But Jesus said it has, has power. It's fading away, but it doesn't have authority. It has power, but it doesn't have authority. That's why Jesus said, now I give you the keys of the... See, Jesus came back, Satan's ruling, right? And then Satan tells Jesus, he said, hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. How could he give it to him? Because he had it. That's why Jesus came. He's like, okay, Adam lost it, right? 
The first king fell, the second king has come to restore. And so Jesus says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Essentially, Jesus, the Bible says, when he was crucified and he's buried, he said, before he ascended, he descended, he went into hell, he preached captivity to the captives, laid the captives out, right? But when he was down there, he kind of looked at Satan and said, hey, you're in my seat. Like, this is all mine now. I'm giving it back to them. I'm going to give them the keys to the kingdom. And then it says, and we've always, to me, I heard people preach this the wrong way because they say, you know, um, Satan can, Satan rages and he attacks, but the gates of hell will not prevail. And, and they kind of twist it around like we're on a defensive mission. But you need to see it in this terms. Up until Jesus, from, from the fall of man until Jesus, hell is on an offensive mission. But when Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail. Here's what he's saying. Now you have the keys and you're on offense and hell is on defense. But here's what he's saying. Because I have all authority, I've given it to you. They have some power. You have authority. But here's what he's saying. There's not one thing that hell can hang on to that belongs to you. Amen. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Why? You have the authority. You have the right to it. Hell, hell only has a right to what it can convince you it has a right to. Satan can only hold on to whatever he's convinced you he has the power to hold on to. You understand what I'm saying? And so actually, we, we are not the embattled church people who are hiding in our churches because hell is attacking us. We're actually the people that have the keys to the planet and hell has to move anytime we want it to. Hell can't hang on to anything that's yours. See, the heart of God's will for earth was to colonize it with heaven. In fact, we, we pray this all the time. Matthew 6, um, verse 10. Our Father who art in heaven, that's verse 9. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, this is the thing Jesus told us to pray. Why is it the first thing that Jesus told us to pray? It's the gospel he preached. It's the good news that he preached and the thing he told us to pray and the thing he told us to announce. Because this is God's heart for earth. This is what God was trying to do. This is about the colonization of heaven on the earth. You need to, please hear me, please hear me, because religion has taught us something that I think came from hell. Listen to me very carefully. God is not trying to get you to heaven. That is not his objective. Because once you are in heaven, you cannot, can, cannot complete the mission of colonizing earth with heaven. Essentially, you can't do kingdom from heaven. You can only do kingdom from earth. Once you're in heaven, you're no good to the mission anymore. And by the way, if you get to heaven, the Bible says he's going to bring you right back. The dead in Christ will rise first, right? And then we which are alive and remain be caught up together with him, right? In other words, God's like, you know, if you die, you come with me and then we come right back. God's not trying to get you to heaven. Jesus didn't die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you. He died to get you in the kingdom. And he died to get the kingdom in you. You're actually not from earth. <laughs> you need to understand this. You didn't come from earth, right? You came from God. 
Psalm 8, um, most Bible translations mess it up because it freaked them out. But it says, and he made him a little bit lower. And most Bible translations say he made him a little bit lower than the angels. But the word in Hebrew is not angels, it's Elohim. It's God. That's one of the names of God. So essentially, God said, and I made you a little bit lower than me. Or the psalmist is saying, and he made us a little bit lower than him. In other words, we are heavenly beings. We are, we are not physical beings that will one day have a spiritual experience. You are currently a, an eternal spiritual being. And that's why you get eternal death or eternal life, because you're eternal. Right? That's why Jesus is offering the, the, the eternal life, but eternal life starts being lived out now here on earth. In fact, salvation is not about how to get to heaven. It's how to, about live, it's how, it's how to live right on the earth. But you're, you are eternal beings that are currently having a temporary physical experience. Number seven, the, the colony declared independence from the kingdom. We call this the fall of man. Where Adam rebelled, he chose his knowledge, he chose his wisdom. Listen to me, leaning on your, your knowledge, leaning on your wisdom is the easiest way to move away from kingdom. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. What did Adam choose? He chose the knowledge of good and evil over what God had told him. He chose his knowledge, his wisdom. Right? We lean on our wisdom, we lean on our understanding, we move away from kingdom. And so, so because the colony declared independence from the kingdom, this was the fall of man. And now the Bible is about this recolonization of earth. So God sends Adam, colonize earth. Adam falls, Satan takes over. Jesus comes back. He's like, nope, same mission, going to recolonize earth. The king is here. The kingdom is here. And now we call that, by the way, the recolonization of earth. We call it redemption. It's the, the gaining back of what was originally God's. It's restoration, reconciliation, restore, reclaim. Acts 3.21, it says, Jesus whom heaven must receive, watch, until the time for restoring all things, which was spoken about by God through the prophets. So there is a time of restoring all things. This is the recolonization project of heaven. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And, and let me just say something here, and I don't have time to explain. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the, for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. That, that, that means they had been made new. It doesn't mean they had been nuked. Like, I understand telling people we're all going to burn in fire, and that's why we need to buy freeze-dried food and their latest book to tell us how to survive it. And all. I understand that sell stuff, but it's not good theology. Because God's not going to nuke the planet. His, he's, on a, he's on a redemption mission. Are, are you with me? Didn't, didn't, okay. So anyways, <laughs> anyways, verse two. And I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for God had prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And now watch this. Here is heaven on earth. Because it said a new Jerusalem comes down. Where's it coming down to? Earth. Where's the dwelling place of God with his people? The Bible says we're going to rule and reign with Jesus, not sit on clouds like little fat cherubs with little harps and togas and sing. Like when people you say, man, you got to go to heaven. We're just going to gather around the throne and sing for all eternity. I'm like, 
I like music, but what if I get next to somebody who can't sing? And I got to be by them all eternity because I've been in some, like I had a grandmother I love. But when she sang, it sounded like a freight train taking a dirt road. And I'm like, if I get by her and she can't sing any better, I won't do that for all. Now I'm in hell. That's not heaven. <laughs> but it actually says we're going to rule and reign with him. And where's that going to be? On the earth. Where was Adam supposed to rule and reign with God at? And then here's this picture of this new earth and, and heaven on the earth. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Welcome to redemption. So this is about the recolonization of a planet. Number eight, God's desire was to extend the kingdom of heaven to the earth. God wanted to colonize a physical planet with a spiritual kingdom. God wanted to fill the earth with his glory. Kind of an interesting word, glory. In fact, I remember growing up, I couldn't ever really wrap my head around this idea of glory because people would preach, I feel the glory of God. And, you know, and, and it was always, it seemed to me the glory was always something we felt. It was like the spiritual willies or something. And like, we had a good service, so oh, I feel glory, you know, and that was saying, feel the presence of God. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but it was always hard for me. And I, I like did this word study on the glory of God. And I saw that then the glory of God meant heavy or weight. And I'm like, okay, it's the, the heaviness and, and the weightedness of, of God, right? And, and that's pretty good, but it's still a little bit ambiguous as how all that works. But if you keep studying it out, it also means impact or imprint. In other words, it means to be so heavy, it leaves an imprint, right? And, and, but if you, if you study a little bit farther, you're going to find out that this word glory or kabod actually means true essence, or you could use this word culture. In other words, the glory of God is the culture, the weightiness, the imprint, the imprint of God. See, all kingdoms manifest themselves through culture. Like probably the easiest way, maybe you've not traveled around the world, but if you've ever been to Epcot at Disney World. If you go to Epcot at Disney World, there's this lake and you go around the lake and you literally, they have each little section set up like a different country. It's really pretty cool if you ever get a chance because you if you starve yourself, you can eat all the way around because everywhere you go, the, the, the architecture changes, the clothing changes, the music changes, the food changes. In fact, the only place I've ever found in the United States where you can buy fish and chips that actually taste like they do in London because they don't, Long John Silver's is not fish and chips. <laughs> Nothing against them, not the same. But I remember Julie and I were there, the first time we were there, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, because we were in London and I got some fish and chips. I'm like, man, these are good. There's just a flavor about them that wasn't anything like I'd had in the States. And so we're walking around Epcot and we get to, to um, England or, yeah, England. And so I tell Julie, I'm like, oh, this, this little place here has fish and chips. And so I'm going to get some. So I got them and I'm like, holy cow, these taste just like they did in London. I don't know if they flew the same guy over there because it's Walt Disney World. As much as they charge, they may have. <laughs> right? But anyways, it was awesome because it was like, man, this is, this is the taste like it. But if you go around there, the, 
All this changes. Why? It's all different culture. Kingdoms express themselves through culture. Here's the interesting thing, though. Culture is conveyed by the people of the kingdom. Uh, interesting enough, Julie and I, we were in um, New York. She was part of a leadership thing, and we were in New York for it. And, um, and so uh, James, Pastor James, who's on staff here, is an Italian, like, like real New York Italian. Not East Texas Italian, right? <laughs> not Olive Garden. Real Italian, <laughs> right? Olive Garden is not real Italian, not to bust your bubble, but like real Italian. In fact, he will not eat at Olive Garden. But like real Italian, like he and his grandmother speak Sicilian, like real Italian, raised in New York. So he's like, hey, if you guys are going, you got to go to this place called Little Italy. And in Manhattan, it has all these barrios, but it also has these little sections like Little Italy. And Little Italy, when you go there, he said, you need to go there and you need to go to Lombardi's and then you need to go to La Ferra, which is where you get your cannoli and all this kind of stuff. And so Julie and I hop into Uber and we're running to, um, to, we're like, take us to Little Italy. So we get to Little Italy. He's like, you got to go to Lombardi's. It's like the first pizza place in New York that was by Italians, not Pizza Hut, Italians, right? And so, and so he's like, so by the way, it was good pizza. <laughs> we ate the pizza and he's like, you gotta go around over here to this little place and get your, and like the coolest thing happened because Julie and I are in this little bakery, like La Ferrera, and we're standing there and the lady in front of us, I don't know, apparently she had 8,000 people come to her house because she's getting 12 of everything. And so we're just sitting there watching and the lady's a New Yorker, so she's speaking English, but the lady behind the counter is Italian and she has this thick Italian accent. And literally, the, the, like the delivery man, FedEx, UPS, somebody comes in the door, and she's helping this lady. And so all of a sudden, she stops, and she's like, hey, Joey, you got a package. And we're like, you know, this, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us right here. This is amazing. Pretty soon, Joey emerges. He is wearing like that Thai Italian shirt thing that you wear that's like silk or something, right? He's got chest hair coming up the gold chain right here. He's eating something, I don't know what. He's like, hey, yeah, I didn't put it over there. And then just disappears again. And Julia and I are like, this is awesome. <laughs> the crazy thing about Little Lily is like, if they're Italian, they start speaking Italian to each other. And you know what's right around the corner from Little Italy? China. <laughs> and you go just like, because we took a wrong turn, and next thing you know, we're in Chinatown. Right? And if you go in Chinatown, like they have the dead fish sitting on the side of the road, on the side of the street, you know, and like all of a sudden, like you're in Italy and you're smelling that pizza. Oh, and that saw, and then you take like a block over and you're like, whoa. <laughs> Smells like dead fish. It is dead fish. All right. So, but you know what's interesting is that's in Manhattan, which is in the United States. Italy is across the ocean, China is across the ocean. But yet you walk down there, it looks like China, smells like China. People are dressed that way. They, they talk in those languages. What happened? Culture, which was conveyed by people. Because if you want to establish a kingdom on a land, you have to have people from that kingdom in that land. Now, I said a minute ago, you're not from earth. The Bible says it this way. We're in this world, but we are not. Our citizenship is in the kingdom. Now, what did God tell Adam? 
Because sometimes we miss this. God said, Adam, I want you to have kingdom. How are you going to do that? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, when we're talking about glory, we're talking about having a people who can imprint a culture on a region. Glory is culture. How is culture conveyed? People, when the Bible says the glory of God covers the earth, what's it actually talking about? It's talking about a people who cover the earth with the culture of heaven. So what's God tell Adam? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, if you're going to have kingdom here and you're going to have glory, if you're going to imprint kingdom on the earth, you've got to have people to convey kingdom. So be fruitful and multiply. Like he, he gives a step process. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, which is take control of it, and have dominion, which is have kingdom over it. Like God gives on the blueprint. Adam, you're going to need a people that just like you are in my essence or my image, you're going to need a people in your essence or your image, which is actually my essence or my image, and they're going to spread out and they're going to imprint kingdom on the earth and you're going to bring it under your control and you're going to rule over it. Amen. That was good. Good preaching there. Sound of God. I like that. That was good what you did there. Because to colonize a place, to colonize a place, you had to have people of the kingdom in the land. God sent you here to colonize earth, to imprint it with his culture. What's the culture of heaven? Well, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. By the way, it's a progression. You can't have peace until you have righteousness. You can't have joy until you have peace. It's culture, righteousness, peace, and joy. So number nine, so what is God's plan for you? Well, Genesis 1.26, let's look at it. We've kind of talked about it, but God's plan for you, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, that's, that's our likeness, and let him have dominion. So man, that's mankind, not just Adam, it's all men, mankind. Image, characteristic, essence, culture, glory, right? Nature, glory. In other words, let us have a man that's imprinted with our glory, that's, that's imprinted with our essence. And this is let him have dominion, right? That's kingdom, that's power, that's royal power, that's sovereignty. And he says, subdue it and have dominion, right? In other words, dominion means now we're responsible for what happens here. Why? Because it's our kingdom. Do you, do you want me to freak you out? Okay, see if you can get it. So far, I'm batting a thousand on people seeing where I'm going with this, and it's been fun to watch. I'm going to see if you can do it too. God tells Adam, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and take dominion. In other words, take kingdom. Adam, I want you to be the sovereign royal power over the earth. Sit on the throne of earth, right? Are you with me? So Adam, have kingdom. If you have a kingdom, you're a... Okay. The Bible never says that Jesus is the king of all subjects. 
It says he's the king of all. Who are the kings? See, we think when the Bible says, well, he's the king of all kings. Well, he's king over the king of France, or he's king over the king of Siberia, or wherever, whoever has a kingdom nowadays. And it says he's the king of subjects, the king of all kings. He's the capital king. We're all the lowercase kings. Therefore, we are actually responsible. This is why hell would rather you have religion than kingdom. Because when you find out we're responsible for what happens on our earth and that hell can't stop us from making our earth right and printing it with God's culture, all of a sudden we don't have religion anymore. All of a sudden we have a kingdom assignment. <laughs> so you rule over your territory when you're the king. So back to this idea. Jesus announced the kingdom. That was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. He went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He went about announcing the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 6, he said, hey, there's this way, there's this kingdom, and you could think this way, pursue these things, worry about these things. But I really would like for you to be a part of my kingdom. And if you're a part of my kingdom, then you really don't worry about these things. You just seek after my kingdom. And so if you're a part of my kingdom, it's about, number one, your pursuit of my kingdom, and number two, the priority. Because it's not just seek the kingdom, but it's seek first. See, seek is a pursuit. Right? But it wasn't just seek, it was seek first. Um. Whatever you seek first will order your life. And the problem, I think, is when we look at seek first like religion terminology, we put religion in charge of our life. And religion is a system whereby we do certain things to try to get certain things from God. Kingdom is a system where we've been born into a royal family and we take our place and we imprint earth with his culture. They're not the same thing. If the concepts are wrong, the truth is wrong. If the truth is wrong, the pursuit is wrong. The mission is wrong. The ideology is wrong. The thinking is wrong. And we never get anything right. And so whatever's first actually orders your life. Think about it this way. You've seen people and they made a relationship first and it determined how they spent their time, how they spent their energy, who they hung out with, what they did. Right? Someone says, no, this, this, this. Promotion is the first thing, and they put it in the first thing, and all of a sudden, that starts ordering their life, right? It starts prioritizing everything else, because you can only have one first thing. So whatever's first orders your life, whatever's first directs your life. It determines the way that you go. It determines your pursuit. Abraham made God first. He had to pack his donkey and leave. It determined which direction he went, right? What you seek first determines what is in your life and what is out of your life. See, if we put other things first, we can actually sometimes, without meaning to, organize God out of our life. It wasn't that we meant to do that. We just put other things ahead of him. We put other pursuits ahead of the kingdom. We got worried about the wrong set of stuff. And whatever is first actually has authority over everything else in your life. 
See, the secret to seeking the kingdom is seeking the kingdom, not having sought the kingdom. The secret of seeking the kingdom is keeping the kingdom the first thing. It's keeping the first thing the first thing. And, not, and considering anything that rivals it an enemy. And, and Jesus said this way, you know what can be an enemy of the kingdom? What you're going to eat. You know what can be an enemy of the kingdom? What you're going to wear. What you're going to drink. Those can actually be an enemy of the kingdom. All that's provided in the kingdom. But when you make those things your pursuit and they get that first thing, now they're an enemy of the first thing that needs to be the first thing. And so Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. But, and we read it that way, but he didn't stop there. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What is righteousness? The culture of the kingdom. In fact, righteousness is how the kingdom works. The kingdom works through righteousness. Psalm 45, 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Watch this. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. What's the scepter? It's the authority, the rule. Righteousness is how the kingdom works. The kingdom comes to make things right. What if I told you the Ten Commandments were not prescriptive, they were descriptive? They're not actually just telling you do these things. They're actually describing to you what righteousness looks like. Righteousness looks like not murdering, not lying, not cheating, not coveting, not committing adultery. That's what righteousness, that's what kingdom looks like. And so he said, hey, don't just pursue kingdom, but pursue righteousness. Now, you, you can't bring kingdom unless you're righteous. That's why Jesus gives us the gift of righteousness, right? In fact, the Bible calls it the gift of righteousness. Romans 5. It says, he who knew no sin, this is 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Why? Because God has to make us righteous because we can't be righteous. So the kingdom comes to make things right. That's why Jesus healed. That's why he delivered, Right? He's just making things right because that's what his kingdom does. The kingdom of darkness makes things broken, makes things wrong. The kingdom makes things right. But you can't make things right until you are right, so he gives us the gift of righteousness. Why? Because in giving us the gift of righteousness, now we are right, so we can make things right, so we're back to imprinting the earth with heaven. But you need to understand that grace makes us righteous. That's the gift. But then grace teaches us righteousness. For the grace of God, this is Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously. The grace of God teaches us to live righteously. That's why when someone says, well, I'm covered by grace, just live our, see, they don't even understand kingdom. Because yes, I am righteous by his grace and I have the gift of righteousness. And now Paul said to Timothy, pursue righteousness. He told the Philippians, bear the fruit of righteousness. Why? Because the more I walk in righteousness, the more authority I have to bring kingdom. That's why the people who, in my opinion, are perverting grace, never bring kingdom. 
And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus comes and he says, hey, I have this message. The kingdom of heaven is like. I have this message. The good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here. I have this message. There's a new kingdom on earth. And I really want you to seek it. But you've got to change the way you think. Repent. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to think from a kingdom perspective, not a religious perspective. And here's what he's saying. But if you will seek the kingdom, if you will seek after learning it, knowing it, understanding it, perceiving it, and imprinting it, and the way you do that is also seek after righteousness and bearing the fruit of righteousness and walking in righteousness, here's what Jesus says. Then you'll be my people who rule with me and fill earth with the culture of heaven. The glory of God that covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. You'll be the people who convey the culture of heaven to the earth. Because what this all is about, the Bible's not a religious book. It tells the story of a king and a kingdom and a royal family and a colonization project where God extended his rule from heaven to earth. And now we've been called into that to help establish his kingdom by being created or recreated now, born again, as the essence of who he is to convey his culture to a world that's broken. That's a kingdom perspective. Amen? Come on, can you give God, let's just make a little noise. Y'all got too quiet, it scared me. I know you're thinking when you get that quiet, but it freaks me out. Why don't you stand with me?